Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a new episode of What's New in History. The future is a mystery, but what's new in history? I am Bernie. I am your host today. And we're going to talk about how scholars are using artificial intelligence to help identify scribes of the Dead Sea Scrolls and some other things of how they're using science to study the Dead Sea Scrolls. So let's first go into a little detail of what are the Dead Sea Scrolls. Just a little. So it's 1947, real hot in the Judean desert near the Dead Sea. And uh, the story goes, a Bedouin tosses a stone into a cave and he hears the sound of breaking pottery. And he decides to go in and investigate. And what he discovers has been said as one of the most important, significant archaeological finds of the 20th century. Some people may say the most but, you know, that's always going to be up to debate. But anyway, and it is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was a, is a collection of Jewish texts that were hidden in 12 caves around the area of an archaeological site of Qumran, which is about a mile inland from the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. So you'll sometimes hear them called the Qumran Scrolls or the Dead Sea Scrolls. Most lay people, I think, would have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And what are they? Well, there's 800 documents, but they're in thousands of fragments, like 25,000 fragments. And there's pieces from just about every book of the Old Testament, except the book of Esther, have been found. And they're still actually discovering parts today. I mean, like I say, they're in pieces. And I'll tell you about a little bit, a little later, I'll tell you some of the other scrolls are in there. But why are, they, why are they important? Why is it so significant? And why is it important to studying history and studying the Bible? Like around 1850s, we were, we had the, we saying, you know, humanity. <laughs> We've had historians, etc. We had the hieroglyphics of Egypt cracked thanks to the Rosetta Stone. We're deciphering the Mediterranean, uh, sorry, the uh, Mesopotamian languages. Uh, learning about the Assyrians and all these things. And we were, you know, studying the Bible 
uh, as a scholarly thing, not as a a religious thing. A lot of scholars were starting to study it, but we didn't have really a lot of old texts. Um, The oldest that we had, there was some finds between like 1850 and, and 1900. If you're interested in those, you could check them out on Gary Stevens' podcast, History in the Bible. He goes through it. But by the 1940s, there wasn't very much. The oldest Jewish text that was um, biblical text was called the Leningrad Codex, which was written in the like 1000s, just a few decades before William the Conqueror, who conquered in 1066. So maybe like 1050s, around there. And the oldest Christian and Greek biblical manuscript was called the Codex Sinaiticus, and that was written maybe 350 A.D., um, another, the most ancient of a Jewish document is called the Nash Papyri, and that was from maybe 100 A.D. So that was the oldest stuff that we had. And then at one shot in 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls gives us like another thousand years of the Bible's history. I told you what I was going to say, what's in them, so I'm going to tell you now. About 40% of the texts come from the Hebrew Scriptures. Another 30% are from the Second Temple period, which were not put into the Hebrew Bible, like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees. These are apocalyptic texts, and some of your conspiracy theorists out there, none of them listening to our podcast, I don't think, would say that they're about aliens, but they're not. And we don't think so anyway. And the remainder, there's some sectarian manuscripts where they'll they're kind of cool, though, actually. They, they talk about the sect that's, that, um, that's there at the time, how, the, how it works. They're very into ritual purity. They had some really interesting scrolls, too. There's the war scroll, which is a, a military strategy. It's a plan for a final war between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. It's a battle between the Israelites and the Gentiles, but they're demonic allies. And most of it is a strategy for a military strike. The Sons of Light are going to launch a preemptive strike on the Sons of Darkness. It's all kind of ridiculous imagery. Trumpets, banners. The guy, the guy whoever wrote it, was kind of interested in like how they would dress for such a war. Um, there's another one called the Copper Scroll, which is cool. It's like a treasure hunt. It's got, it says where all kind of things are buried. And then one we're going to talk about a lot today is the Great Isaiah Scroll. It's one of the first seven that were discovered in the first cave. And it's written in Hebrew and includes the entire book of Isaiah, except for like a few small portions that are damaged. But, I mean, and it's like 24 feet long, about 7 meters. So that's an amazing find. And it's written, you know, somewhere around in the 140s BCE. So we've really gone way back on the oldest stuff that we had. And then they had... um, you know, all these other scrolls, like I said, but the other ones were in a lot of pieces, and they're still putting them together, which is, again, what I said, some of the, that we're going to talk about today. And just another, one little last thing about the scrolls, too, that's interesting, and I guess it's important to what we're talking about here, too, especially if you want to be learned on the scrolls, the scrolls. For decades after these scrolls were found, there was a, only a small group of scholars had access to them. And there was a lot of outcry from other scholars. So without going into all the sordid details, basically there was an international, what's called a cabal, 
of conservative Catholics, priests and lay people who hoarded access to these scrolls and their study, and the release was slowed and limited on what could come out. And Gary has that in History in the Bible, too. And I know that episode is episode 2.18. And lastly, the debate, there's been some, a lot of talk about who wrote the scrolls. If you talk to people who know passing interests, even myself when I first, you know, started to do the research for this podcast, you know, you, you hear about the Essenes, and maybe Jesus wasn't a scene, and maybe John the Baptist wasn't a scene. But it's a little more complicated than that. And the group that wrote it was more, that were there, was more likely a group of priests that had been kicked out of the temple that was still there at the time in Jerusalem. And they lost their, they kind of lost their business. It was a great business there and had a lot of power. And they were kicked out by the Maccabees. So when they, they moved to these caves and they started to copy stuff from the Bible, because at that time also, I shouldn't call it the Bible, it was the Hebrew Scriptures at the time, and at that time the Maccabees were changing some of the texts, so they wanted to copy them and, you know, keep all their things together in a library, and they were apocalyptic, and so, you know what, you know, Gil, Gil, my friend Gil, who has the podcast, a podcast of biblical proportions, he knows a lot about this. You know what, too? He would be super interested in this. You know what? Why don't we give him a call? Just, you know what? Hang on. I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to give him a buzz. Maybe we'll bring Gil in. See if he'll call in and we could talk to Gil for a little bit. Hang on. Okay, yeah, we're back. Hi, Bernie. Hi, Gil. Today we're talking about how artificial intelligence is being used to study the Dead Sea Scrolls. That's amazing. One of the main scrolls in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is the book of Isaiah. And they could tell by using AI that there's two separate scribes, meaning two separate people are copying the book. Like handwriting, like the AI figured out the handwriting. Exactly. And what's really amazing about it, too, is that the handwriting is so close. They're so good at it. You know, they're such experts that even for humans, it was really hard. But the computer could take, you know, like, for example, the letter A could take like 5,000 of those and compare them. And it was able to tell that there's two different, uh, not authors, but scribes, scribes that were copying it. Copiers. Right. Okay. And this this particular scroll, the the Great Isaiah Scroll, is one of the only scrolls in there that's so complete. It's like 24 feet long, which is, I think, like 7 meters, right? Yeah, 8 meters or something. Yeah, yeah, something Incredible. like that. We have here, like, two people who actually lived and copied the scrolls that we have. Right. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'll give you a little background on the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's like 1947 is when they were found. There was apparently a Bedouin shepherd. Was There's different stories. I hear it was a kid. I hear it was somebody looking for his goat. But basically he throws a rock into a It's like a, a biblical cave. story, basically. Yeah, it's a story about the story. <laughs> it's like not even that long ago, right? When we're talking about a long time ago, this is 1947. So, <laughs> right? Yeah, the guy yeah. throws a rock into the cave. He hits, a, hits something ceramic. He goes and checks it out. All of a sudden, these things are hitting the antiquities market. Like, where are these things coming from? So scholars and archaeologists, yeah, realize this is what's going on. There was a lot of drama in Israel at the time, too, right? Because there was the, the Arab-Israeli wars. There was, they had a, you know, like, first Jordan had the scrolls, and then Israel had right, the scrolls. Right, right. There was all kind of stuff like that. Hey, it's very symbolic. It's even before the founding of the, of the state of Israel. That's in 1948. Yeah, really good point. Yeah. So everything here is uh, dramatic and biblical. <laughs> it so is. Maybe we are living in a simulation. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> Seems to be all planned out. So. <laughs> yeah. So what's in them? There's like, there's about 800 documents. Why they're so amazing is, first of all, 1947 doesn't seem like that old archaeology. I mean, it kind of is now. I mean, maybe because of our age. But, you know, you always think of like the 1700s, the 1800s, when they're finding all yeah. this stuff. The, by the time they found those, they right. kind of thought everything was already found. And basically, this is like the oldest written copies that we have of biblical texts. Like up to then, it was just like you, like the Middle Ages or something. That was like the oldest biblical texts that we had. This is like 2,000 years ago. Exactly. Like the oldest of the Old Testament before they found those was like from time of like William the Conqueror. Yeah. Yeah. Like the year 1000 AD or CE, as they say now. So Right, and this is like uh, around uh, the 100s BCE, starting from around the 100s BCE all the way to, I guess, year zero or something. Yeah, maybe even a little more, maybe even up to like, I think until the destruction of the Second Temple, I think that's the end ah, of the time. Right, right, right. 70, in there. 70. Yeah, like 70, okay. around there. Okay, so, so, so let's talk a little bit about about these people. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have a lot of texts that they wrote about themselves. and Correct. And what they are and who they are. Yes. 
and we can get uh, like a sense of uh, you know their perspective. They call them the sectarian scrolls, manuscripts. They're not biblical, right? Right, exactly. So they are like a sect, generally yes. attributed to the Essenes, but mm -hmm. that's just a name. We don't have to, you know, that doesn't mean anything for us. And they didn't call themselves that. But we know that they were like bitter priests who were mm -hmm. kicked out of the temple. And they had this thing about a fight between good and evil and light and darkness. And they had like metaphysical texts And they were worried that the end was coming because the temple, uh, now that they're not in the temple, in the Jerusalem temple, since they've been kicked out, now everything is going to go to hell. Yeah. And they were, so they got into this ritual purity. And like, I think as they, the more they lived there, you know, when you try to be pure like that, and probably fighting who could be more pure. And they just got really, really into purity and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Oh, if you put a lot of these people together, they're just gonna, uh, you know, <laughs> go more extreme. Yeah, like for example, they with the plates, like because they couldn't, you know, like people in those days would mostly when they would eat, they could share plates, but here they wouldn't share plates because things couldn't touch and everything. So when they did, they dug it up, they found tons of plates, you know, because more than you'd usually find in a community because they have to, like, you know. <laughs> And they don't have paper plates in those days, right? So there's just like tons and tons of plates. <laughs> right. So, you know, th uh, this brings me to something interesting that uh, I think helps to understand these kinds uh, of people. So they are, we said, like disaffected priests. Yeah. Everything that we just discussed about them, it all seems very Zoroastrian. For sure. Right, the Persian religion, the the Persian Empire ruled the world, like Judea, that's just like a tiny province, obviously affected by the religion of the empire. Obviously. And the Hebrew priests were very much affected by Zoroastrianism because they came up when the Persian Empire grew and became an empire in the 500s BCE and exported Zoroastrian values and themes everywhere, light and darkness, good and evil, purity, yes, all those things. Right. So the Dead Sea Scroll community are these kinds of priests that have been in power since the 500s BCE and in 140 BCE were suddenly toppled. And some of them found refuge in this cave. I like the Zoroastrians. I think the Zoroastrians are pretty neat because um, they... Um, You know, at a time when people worshipped multiple gods and it was, you know, it was, I think, I feel like religion was like very tit for tat. Like, you burn up a cow for me, I'll give you some rain. You do this or that. But the Zoroastrians were more of a big battle with good versus evil. There was the good god, Hura Mazda, and then the bad god, I can't remember what his name is. You know, in other words, if you were a good person, just by being good, that was part of the battle between good and evil. And by being good and not lying, you were actually helping the Horamaz to win the battle against the... Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think that this also changed the Hebrew religion as we see it in the Bible. The parts written before the Persians are very tit-for-tat, and it's like a more functional religion. And after the Persians and after Zoroastrianism, now you start uh, seeing in the Bible all the texts about how to be a righteous person, a good person, and all of that. So that's thanks to Ahura Mazda. Yeah. 
He just wants good things. That's it. It's very simple. Okay. That's a good religion. Yeah. We're going to get into a whole discussion on Zoroastrianism, but I think it's important because you really see how, you know, this whole religion, the Jewish religion changed, and then thus came Christianity, which is so messianic and um, apocalyptic, especially the beginning of 2,000 years later. We're not so apocalyptic, but boy, when they started, that was the whole crust of it. Right, right. And this brings us right back to the Dead Sea Scrolls and the people who wrote them and copied them. I think we can compare it to the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, really good point. So in 140 BCE, the Maccabees, they took power. And they are like the Protestant reformers taking over the state and kicking out the Catholics and persecuting Catholics. That's the kind of uh, moment in history we're talking about. Yeah. That led to this community fleeing to this cave and writing all these scrolls. Okay. Make sense? And these were the... I think so. Those, so those, those traditional priests were called Sadokites, right? Nice. They were the priests of Zadok. Oh, it's Zadok, right. Zadok was the, was the founder. And Malkitzedek is very prominent uh, there in the Qumran scrolls. That's like an iteration of this ancient priest. Basically, Tzadok is like an image of an ancient priest. Oh, okay. That his descendants are the holiest of priests. And he has different names. Sometimes he's Malkitzedek. Sometimes he's uh, the teacher of righteousness, Moreh Tzedek, right? You want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, the teacher of righteousness, Yeah. I don't know a lot about it. I, I found it, and I was really interesting, but it's sort of, he could, you know, it's the teacher of righteousness could be thought of as, some people think it was John the Baptist, and probably not, but the teacher of righteousness, there's a scroll, I believe, right? And, the, and it's got about the teacher of righteousness, and it could be very um, controversial. If So if you're a scholar and you're just studying it for, like, objectively is one thing, but if you're a religious person, that's when it gets... The teacher of righteousness gets hard to tease out, you know, because some people think that's Jesus and all, but you could surely see that that teacher of righteousness stuff. Right, because he, like, died, right? He died, and there they're waiting for him to come back. Oh, yeah, right, right. So that's already something, like a concept that you see introduced, you know, into the bloodstream. Right, pre-Christianity. So this is like a half-metaphysical Messiah, but if you read the texts of these priests, their original Messiah was Cyrus, king of Persia. They call Cyrus Meshicho Shel Yahweh, Yahweh's Messiah. He's the original savior, the original Messiah, and he's not a supernatural Messiah. He's the opposite of a supernatural Messiah. He's like the regular person that Yahweh sent in order to return the Hebrews back home after 49 years, because 49 years have passed since uh, the temple of God of Yahweh was destroyed, and 49 years, that's like a magical Zoroastrian Persian number. Okay. And that gets also incorporated into the Dead Sea Scrolls, where these exact people, they start to calculate the end of the world in 49 years, in bunches of 49 years, after they were kicked out of the temple. I think because they assume... The last time we were saved uh, or, you know, salvation came after 49 years, then now doom will come, Armageddon will come in 49 years or bunches of 49 years. That's how their 
and then, you know, the end doesn't come. Like, it does come because there's always civil war and destruction, but it's not like the end, the end, the end. Right. right? <laughs> because some people live. <laughs> it seems very highly religious people always see the end of times coming. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living a little bit, a little bit, a little bit through this kind of uh, energy, mm-hmm. social, social energy right now in Israel. <clears throat> Of like civil war, like yeah. a potential civil war, and like intense, intense civil animosity. Yeah, there is something apocalyptic in it. You can you can feel it. You can yeah. Feel it. So this is and this is just like a taste, right? Yeah. It's not a real civil war. Yeah. So uh, I I think it makes sense. A civil, like, is there anything more apocalyptic? I don't know. Maybe the Romans coming in. That's more apocalyptic. Yeah. Yeah, because so at this point, when they first found a community, right? Then they. The people that were kicked out, but there was a free free Judah, basically, right? There was a there was its own state. The Romans hadn't yeah. taken over, but by the end of the period, the Romans had taken over Judea and Jerusalem, and by the very end, they destroyed the temple. So Christianity kind of came from, in my opinion, and from what I've read, from that point where you said when they kicked them out of the temple, the temple wasn't pure anymore. But yeah. then they destroyed the temple, so now you had nothing else, exactly. so you needed something else. So Jesus is the Lamb of God. Right. You don't need to have a sacrifice at the temple anymore. You have this Jesus exactly. guy. He did it all for you. Exactly. A new, a new Messiah. Uh, the yeah. old Messiah saved us, Cyrus. Cyrus is the Messiah. Mishicho Now a new Messiah. Yeah. It works. Yeah, it did. So now we figured out Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of the scrolls also seem to want to preserve what the Bible was, because as you mentioned a lot, and I don't know if our listeners, we might have talked about you and I in an episode too, that how the Maccabees, yes, we did do an episode, how the Maccabees were changing the Bible at the time. So these guys were leaving. They were like, oh, my God, we better start copying everything down and, you know, saving this stuff for posterity. And they're also writing new stories, right? They're like writing a lot of stuff that, that hasn't made it into the Bible. Yeah, like the war scroll. So, so it means that at that time, a lot of people are doing a lot of writing and changes and additions to the Bible. Yeah. Okay, so I think why is it out of the realm of possibility that it would also happen in, with the Maccabees? Because scholars, they say that by that time... The Bible was already finalized like a PDF document. You can't edit it anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think that it's uh, wrong. And I think also it makes sense that if there's so much, you know, people are writing, you know, their, their stuff down for posterity. Okay, so the other side is also writing their stuff down for yeah. posterity. And there's a reason why people are starting to write. It's, it's like a war. Uh, how do you call it? It's like, a, it's, it's like an arms race, an arms race of writing. Oh, an arms race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you then. If, if, if I'm not sure, but it seems, though, like the, the only one scroll we have is the whole Isaiah scroll, right? But it kind of does match with the old, what, what we thought it was, right? Because we found it in 1947, and there was obviously a book of Isaiah in Bibles. And it does kind of match, mostly match, right? There's nothing crazy in there. Yeah, you're right. There are only like minor, minor changes everywhere, though, but minor. 
I mean, most of the gist of it was still there. They just changed some of those parts. But I guess those are important, important things. But but yeah. that's kind of a lot of within the Dead Sea Scrolls too. It shows is that a lot of the old stuff is was preserved, I guess, the right way. But then that was the reason for these yeah. priests to go in and keep all this stuff there. I mean, they had a big scribatorium in there where they were, you know, copying these scrolls. And I, I think it's hard for modern people to realize how much of a thing that is. Right. You know, it takes years to copy something like that. Wow. It's not like. You know, it's not like making a copy of your hard disk or like running out a printing press or even right. just writing with a pen. Right. You know? and, you, and you remember when we were kids at school that you had to use like the T-Pex, the like the, the white eraser if you wrote with a, yeah. uh, with a pen. That was a pain right. in the ass to make a mistake. For sure. Yeah, or a typewriter even. You didn't, couldn't make a mistake. But these guys, they're writing on animal skins and stuff like that, which is wow. kind of an interesting segue on the... the The, how they're using AI and such and science to study these. They are also using DNA to study um, the vellum. Like a vellum is actually a like a skin of a cow or a lamb. That's the Zoroastrian priest from Dr. Yeah. Eden? <laughs> That's Velma. <laughs> Velma, this one is? No, the vellum. Like the parchment. <laughs> like parchment. <laughs> it's right, it's just very... Sound, uh, very the Velma, like. ritualistically, did you know what? So um, <laughs> they, they're using to DNA to study like, well, this came from a cow that came from here, or this came from a sheep, or this came, you know, the different kind of skin that they can tell. And they could also, right. and even with the writing styles and by doing things like this, they don't need to carbon date anymore because when you carbon date things, it ruins them. So now they can tell if they can, uh. in other words, if they've already carbon dated this one and now they can do DNA and see it's the same DNA on this parchment that that goes with that. Because that's another important thing to, uh, you know... Like, what that will tell us, the DNA, how will that... Well, in other words, us? for example, when they start, first started to put these scrolls together, too, there was like, there was a consortium, more of a cabal, that wouldn't let the stuff out, right? Like, they were Catholic priests and Catholics, and they, for years, they were really hoarding the information. It was coming out slowly, and they were afraid of things coming out. So now we have everything. Mm -hmm. But at the time, they were like, you know, using human... Their own human brains to like put these scroll pieces together because there's I said there's 800 scrolls but there's they're basically in 25,000 pieces <laughs> you know it's like confetti right so right. you try to put yeah. this piece yeah if you look at it like uh, online I don't know how they pieced it together. exactly well they were piecing it together with tape and glue and some kind of cellophane tape that was new at the time and now they find out that they were wrong like the wrong place they had to take the tape off. So by using AI and oh DNA, they can say, like, okay, this scroll is the same, this little piece has the same DNA as this piece. They don't even have to, like, go looking at it and crazy. Then they can say, okay, these go with this scroll. Now let's put it together. <laughs> ah, that's a very, oh, that's Yeah, because there's so many pieces. Okay, and then okay. I, we did a, an episode on AI, and there, there's these guys that are um, developing this tool. They want to actually eventually make a robot out of it. That so, for example, like a fresco comes in all, from Pompeii. All these little pieces, they've decided it's impossible for a human being to put it together. But they machine tra learning train the thing to find two pieces. Like these two go together, but then those two pieces they could figure it out because it could see the smallest things where a human being can't see. Uh, Now they could piece it together. So they'll be doing this kind of stuff with the scrolls too. Ah, like a broken fresco. Yeah. 
to rebuild is like a puzzle that you you know yeah, you impossible. can't uh, do yeah. by yourself. But it can tell like it can tell like well this paint is so close to this corner. So the same thing with the squirrels like by using DNA, by using AI, by they're going to be able to because they have a lot of them probably wrong, where they're in the wrong place. You know, they think it's, they put a squirrel together with tape and glue and these, and you know, like, just like the people in, that we're talking about were like editing, these guys that were doing the scrolls could have been editing. In other words, they don't want this to come out saying that right. Jesus isn't the Messiah or whatever, so they might have put them in the wrong place, we don't know. <laughs> isn't it funny how history comes around? <laughs> That's so weird. And you know, it, why don't they you put AI to work on the Hebrew Bible and just like find writers according to style yeah. and to word choice and to how they convey emotions and drama and whatever. And just like find the scribes that wrote different parts of the Bible because they must be repeating themselves. That's, you know, that's just like analyzing text. That seems to to me, to be something that can be done yeah. now, right? If there's chat GPT, you can't do that. Yeah, I guess you'd have to worry about all the translations. You'd have to use the right language. You'd have to use the original the language. Hebrew. I don't the know. Hebrew. Yeah, the... yeah, yeah, use the Hebrew. Oh, okay, 22 letters, that's what we have. Oh, yeah, so <laughs> basically the way you're saying the way that they did this, just analyzing the handwriting, or you're saying the style. No, I'm saying the style of writing. yeah. It's like this, because, you know, different people write yeah. differently. It's just like the handwriting is differently, but also if you're like a creator, if you're a right. painter, if you're a sculptor, even if you try to do the same thing, yeah, two people are told, uh, you know, make a sculpture of Moses. They will have two yeah. different sculptures of Moses, right. right? So it's the same, to write stories about Moses. Two people write different stories of Moses. Yeah. If you're a scribe, you don't write one story and then you retire. <laughs> Right, oh, so you okay. have a lot of stuff spread over the Bible that you wrote. Yeah. And we can, I think yeah. AI can uh, identify writers. They found Q. They found Q. They did? According to AI, two people. I didn't know that. We're going to have to look into that, maybe talk about that later. If you don't know what Q is, Q is the um, unknown author of a gospel that they think maybe, right, that Mark even used. No, no, no. Q, right? sorry, sorry. Q Anon. Oh, QAnon. I thought you meant Q. No, no, no. The original, <laughs> the person who started the QAnon. Two people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's how they found them? Yeah, they scanned, like, I don't know, thousands, millions of texts of people who promote the QAnon conspiracies. And they compared them all to the original posts in the, whatever, on some forums or whatever that started this whole movement. And they narrowed it down to two people according to the style of writing and word choice and all that. You can put that to work uh, to the Bible. Oh. And one of them is named Baruch the Scribe. That was his pen name. His, uh, nice. His, uh, like internet oh, Baruch. Name. Baruch. <laughs> all right. <laughs> he was Jeremiah's scribe. Yeah. We probably come back in five years and we'll have so yeah. much more information that AI has found on... These scrolls, anything, I mean. Yeah. They're seeing, like, through burnt things. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah, they, they're, in other words, if something's rolled up and, you you know, unrolling it ruins it, they could see through it. They don't have to unroll it with the AI. Amazing. Yeah, because they'll do, like, you know, heat scans and stuff. It's hard for human eye to tell the difference, but they can... And plus, it's boring. How can you spend hours and hours? just You just lose it. But a computer just... 
go wow. through it. I try to read yeah. like the original because you have like you know parts of it you have like uh, photographs, right? Yeah. And it's and it's just hard to read. It's, it's you know it's it's a difficult hard ha- handwriting. It's not punctuated. It's not separated well. It's just like text upon text. I don't know how how a person can do it. It's just like very very hard. Yeah, I think even with modern people, or mod- I mean, I feel like. Don't you think like the old historians and scholars, they could just sit at their desk for hours and hours? We are so bombarded with stimuli. It's I, Even for myself through my life, it's harder for me to sit and focus anymore with all the stimuli. I couldn't imagine going through scrolls like right. that and trying to look at 5,000 letters A's and see if there's any different ones, right. <laughs> you know, as a human being. Right. But let's say if... Like like these people, right? The the, the like like old like historians from from different times, from past times. I guess if you get like a job and you're paid five years, write a history book about this and that. Okay, so you yeah. have five years, so now you have the time to read whatever <laughs> you need to read, and yeah. you're not stressed. And maybe yeah, you know, but I wouldn't want to look through a bunch of five thousand letters and just sit there meticulously <laughs> piecing together a puzzle. <laughs> It's like impossible to even tell. There's twenty five thousand pieces. They're all bunched together. For the right amount, pieces. for the right amount, I would do it. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't do good at it though. I would take the money, but I wouldn't come out as good as the computer. <laughs> That's for sure. For sure. But anyway. Okay. So so uh, Bernie, just like let's uh, let's sum things up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, so to sum things up a bit, the, the initial reason for this podcast was to talk about this new um, AI. It's not a new AI, but how they're using AI and they to study the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the, one of the biggest, the first, actually the first scroll that they found, and the complete one is the, the Book of Isaiah. And AI has been able to determine that two different scribes copied the, you know, the book and so a by doing book. that huge book a huge book right like 24 foot chapters. long book yeah wow. I mean you know handwriting you know in 140 BC um, so and now they'll probably be using the AI for to do more study on these on the scrolls and then of course we discussed what this this community that had the scrolls were I mean if you were to just ask a person off the street that knew about the scrolls they'd say oh yeah the Essenes and that was John the Baptist right but now we really don't think that was that's as simple as that. Maybe yeah. the Essenes were a part of this other the Sadducees. Yeah, yeah. It's like the name, I think it just like it confuses and obscures more than it reveals. It's just like a community, right, of angry, disaffected priests out of a job. Yes, who believed that the world was about to end because they were out of a job. Yes. And then, of course, their generations gone by. You know, if they started around 140, you know, every 20 years you got a new generation. By the time you're 80 years in, some of those right. people don't remember what it was all about, and then they got exactly. more into purity. And, and then this is how the Christian, maybe this whole soup of religious thought at the time. This is just Jewish thought. There was all right. kinds of crazy stuff going on, you know, at the time in this area. Right. And you have, like, more books there that have made it into the Catholic canon and haven't made it into the Hebrew canon because these priests eventually lost. Their temple was destroyed and their version is not with us. Uh. And parts of the scrolls that they found are books that were rejected by the the Jews. And that's Enoch, for example. Uh, They talk a lot of the book of Enoch. Again, very apocalyptic. 
Yeah. It's, it's all in line with the same. Right. It's, <laughs> uh, something like that. And uh, aliens, basically, that's also, you know, like Ezekiel, who's also like a Tzadokite, Sadducee. He's also very apocalyptic. He sees things flying in the sky, animals yeah. with, uh, with torches and all kinds of weird things. So basically, these are the kinds of people across the generations. And as you said, it changes when reality changes. When there's apocalypse, yeah. when the Babylonians destroyed the Temple of God, the Temple in Jerusalem, that was the apocalypse. Later, when they were returned, now light, righteousness, everything is fine, everything is happy. In 140 BCE, another calamity. So I think the apocalyptic stuff comes into the forefront then. And not be just like at the you know at the periphery of these priests. Yeah, yeah, and it just becomes part of the religion, and then Christianity takes it over, and now we're still living with it today. It's interesting how these things, when you really dig, and you're amazing at that. That's kind of what I wanted to say. I wanted to say for my podcast listeners to check out Gil's podcast, which is um, a podcast of biblical proportions. He finds all these things that, to me, once you, after you hear them, it's like, oh, that's Oxum's razor. That makes a lot more sense than all the other theories, you know? And um, so his podcast is great. And then if you want to get more information on the Dead Sea Scrolls and that cabal that hid them and all that, Gary... Stephen's podcast, History in the Bible, is actually, um, and thank you, Gary, for he helped me with the notes on this. He let me share his notes with me. I learned a lot from reading them. And, and thank you, um, Gary, for just being awesome. And thank you, Gary, for being awesome. And those episodes are uh, 2.17 and 2.18 of History in the Bible. If you want to check those out. So check out his podcast and also check out Gil's podcast. And if you're listening to Gil's podcast, check out my podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, Bernie. No, I, I, I was waiting for an opening here. <laughs> no, I know. I was just making a kid around there. You can no, tell them okay. what it is. So, so you have a podcast that actually has like two things in it. Yes, yes. So the first one, you go chronologically. Correct. Through history. Correct. We they started at 1000 BC going forward 10 years at a time. So as the time of this recording, we are working on the 550s BC. We've already released episodes up to the 560s. And so Is that's our main the time podcast. that I'm also uh, Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. So, You're like yeah, 538. So I'm going to listen to that. podcast to, to know more, to get more context. Yeah, yeah, that'll be good. You're in the beginning of Persian times, and you're going to get soon to the Persian Empire swallowing Babylonia. That is correct. We just, uh, Nebuchadnezzar just died. In their last episode that was published, Aww. that's the time of this mirror. <laughs> Poor Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> okay, so this is very relevant uh, for uh, the listeners of uh, my podcast as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, it was right, right at your time. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so that's one podcast. That is in, one, right? And this is a fan of history. Fan of fan history. Fan of history. That's the name of the podcast. And if you ever find wherever you go to get your podcast, it's Fan of History. And then in the, we have another show every other week that chronology comes out and then every other week so every week something comes out we have what's new in history and that's some that this is what's new in history that about the ai so there's so many new things going on in history um it's funny right what's new with the past but finding new things about the past and there's so much stuff i i can't i can't i had to stop looking up new stuff because i have all so much old stuff to do 
So yeah. there's a lot of new stuff in history. And it just like gives you a good opportunity and reason to just like get into something interesting. So like, yeah. Oh, okay, let's learn a little bit about the Dead Sea Scrolls. A hundred percent. And so I would like to say I appreciate you who helped me with this, doing this. I appreciate all the listeners who let me even do it because I would have no reason to sit around a Saturday morning and talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. (laughs) And maybe a lot of people think that's not important, but I enjoy it, and I think there's some people out here that like listening to us. So uh, thank you very much. Agreed. Yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so that was a good – I had a great time. uh, Yeah, 100,000%, didn't we? I I can't wait to come to America. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) If you maybe do. Maybe.